particularly today in support of the baptisms. Uh, it's very special to us, so thanks for coming along. Uh, before I jump in, just a very quick update. Maybe you're looking at this you know, thing, Don't Talk About Money, the series where we talk about money. We've been in the past a uh, couple of weeks in a series thinking about the Bible's teaching on money, uh, also dreaming together about what the future might look like at Grace City, uh, particularly next year, how much is it going to cost to fund the vision here, and so that's what these booklets are for. They're for our members, uh, so if you're here as a guest, feel free to just uh, ignore those. Uh, but as part of uh, the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is inviting our members and regular attenders to make a financial pledge that's basically an expression of intent for next year. Uh, we'll keep those pledges open for another two weeks, but just an update on how things have gone so far. We've had 87 people, so I think it was maybe 51 pledges, representing 87 people, uh, pledge a total of $566,000 towards the ministry next year. Um, in terms of where that gets us, that's about 25% of members pledging 44% of next year's budget, so wonderfully encouraging in that regard. Uh, and I think something all of us should be incredibly thankful to God for. Um, as I said, still a uh, fair bit of a way to go uh, and plenty of us that can still get involved. So uh, please do make the most of the next two weeks. But once you join me, let's pray and we'll dive into God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for all the wonderful gifts that you give us, uh, in particular... Uh, today, we thank you for the generosity of your people. We pray that you would take and use uh, the gifts that have been given uh, to overflow in thanksgiving to you, as well as drawing more people to yourself. And Lord, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would speak to us and teach us more of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start uh, by thinking with you about lost causes. It might seem like a strange way to start. But lost causes, I googled lost causes this week and here's a definition from Google. A lost cause is a person or a thing that can no longer hope to succeed or be changed for the better. That's a pretty damning and depressing description, isn't it? A person or thing that can no longer hope to succeed or be changed for the better. Now, we can sometimes use this term in a, you know, maybe a flippant way to say something like, oh, you know, the chance of getting this project done on time is a lost cause, or maybe we say, oh, I went back to uni because, you know, I realised my other career was a bit of a lost cause, or maybe we say, I gave up on the dream of owning a home because property around here is just a lost cause. Now, I presume that there's always a little bit of sadness, grief attached to that kind of use, but it's quite different to the kind of grief that might arise in someone if they say, you know what, I think this marriage is a lost cause. Or when they say something like, the cancer is just too far progressed, to try anything else at this point would just be a lost cause. Or perhaps to say something like, they're just an addict. Until they hit rock bottom, they're a lost cause. Again, to, to label something or someone a lost cause, I think is effectively to give up hope. Now, there, there might be times where it is maybe appropriate to describe something as a lost cause. So, for example, uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading a story about a, a poor lady who poured her entire life savings into some venture that never had any chance of working. Really, someone did need to come alongside her and help her to see this, this is a lost cause. It, it, it's not going to work. But even if it's sometimes necessary, it's always tragic. Because a lost cause really ultimately is about giving up hope. 
about admitting defeat and resigning yourself to the fact that things are never going to get better and never going to succeed. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, that's a a, a rather rather upbeat introduction for us, Tim. Uh, Why do I I start this way? Well, part of it is because I suspect that some of you feel this way about yourselves. You feel like you're a lost cause. You've lost hope that things are ever going to get better. Maybe with your health, maybe with your marriage, maybe with work. And you're not sure what to do about it. Others of you feel this way about family members or friends, uh, particularly maybe if they've walked away from God and you lost all hope that they might ever come back. Right? To live without hope is a tragic place to be. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes believers as people of faith, hope and love. Now, the hope he's thinking of there is specifically the sure and certain hope that as believers we have of eternal life. But I think there's another hope that we can have, and it's the hope given to us by this passage. See, the big idea of today's story is that with the God of the Bible, while there may be lost people, there's no such thing as a lost cause. Uh, The God of the Bible never writes people off. He never gives us any reason to give up hope. Instead, as we'll see today, the God of the Bible is a God who sends His Son into the world to seek and to save Uh, that which is lost. Not lost causes, but his lost children that he wants to come home. Uh, As Matt shared, after this talk, we're going to watch a video of four different people who've become Christians in the last year or so. Uh, One of them, as you'll see, felt like her life was a lost cause and even made plans to end it. And yet in the kindness of God, he intervened not just to save her life, but to give her the gift of eternal life. Now, not everyone is going to have such a dramatic turnaround as uh, Krista, as you'll meet. Um, But each of those stories are a testimony to the God of the Bible, uh, that he is a God who is on about seeking and saving his lost children. And really, that is what today's passage testifies to. And so whether you're here today as someone who feels like maybe life is a lost cause, maybe you're here and you feel like members of your family or your friends are lost causes. Maybe you're just here as an interested bystander and supporter. Uh, Wherever you are, I want you to come with me as we unpack this story, because I think in it we're going to discover the hope that comes from knowing the God who sent His Son to seek and to save, as well as the joy that comes from being saved, that comes from being found. We're going to use those two kind of themes as the structure for our time together. First, this theme of seeking, And then second of all, this theme of being found. So if you have a Bible, uh, it's always useful to have it open in front of you, uh, but I'll bring it up on the screen as well. So first of all, we jump in and look at this theme of seeking. Uh, The passage starts Luke chapter 19, verse 1. We're told Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That's really just setting the scene for us tells us that the story is taking place in a city called Jericho. It's just down from Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is headed. But then we're introduced to the first of our two main characters in the story. This guy's name is Zacchaeus. And so in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, most of the people in Jesus' day would have looked at Zacchaeus and said, he is, of everyone out there, a lost cause. Why? Well, to begin with, uh, he's a tax collector. In the first century, the Roman Empire covered much of the known world, uh, including the province of Judea, which is where Jericho was. 
And so really to manage the whole thing, such a vast empire, they used to contract out the role of collecting taxes to locals from each region. In essence, it kind of functioned a little bit like a franchise. And so whoever won the bid to be that local tax collector, yes, they had to collect taxes for the Romans, but then it was their privilege to add a bit of a surcharge on top, collect a little for themselves to make the whole thing worthwhile. Problem was, it was massively open to extortion. And so the tax collectors would often grow rich off the backs of their own people, which also meant that their own people also hated them. Uh, if you want a modern-day equivalent, it's kind of like uh, crooked cops and the mafia. Right? The, the Romans, those in power, they know it's going on, but they sort of turn a blind eye to it because, hey, at the end of the day, we're getting our taxes, and that's really all that matters. Thing is, Zacchaeus isn't just any old tax collector. He is, as we're told, you see it there, a chief tax collector. In other words, uh, he's the guy at the top of the pyramid. Uh, he doesn't do the dirty work himself. Uh, he's the one who has cronies that go out and do it for him. And so he's effectively the godfather. I don't mean godfather like some of you have become today. I mean like, hey, hey Jesus, come into my house. Uh, if that helps you just later on as you're imagining it, you're welcome. Final reason that he would be, frankly, a lost cause, that others would look at this guy and think, there is no way that this guy is going to want to you know, engage with God, and certainly no way that God is going to want to engage with him, is because, as we see here, he's wealthy. And so, well, you know, what's that got to do with it? Well, in the previous chapter, so this is Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 18, just one chapter earlier, Jesus has encountered another wealthy man, literally a rich man, and he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, or good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns around and says, sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. And then Luke, the narrator, tells us he went away sad because he, had, because he was very wealthy. And then Jesus kind of pulls it all together. And, and the moral to the story, in some ways, uh, comes in verse 25. Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so again, but by all external markers, Zacchaeus would seem like someone who was just a complete lost cause. He's got no chance. Uh, to begin with, he's betrayed his people, he's broken God's laws, and frankly, he's stolen the very riches that have become a, come, a barrier to him entering the kingdom. The thing is, external appearances can often be misleading. And so in verse 3, Luke tells us, he, that is Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. That word see there is more literally seeking. He was seeking to see Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, in some ways, you could describe him as a seeker. That's what Luke does anyway. But seek, seeking to see him, like what exactly is going on there? Because I think first time you read it, it's easy to assume that Zacchaeus just wants a bit of a sticky beak, you know, he just kind of wants to see what's going on, satisfy his curiosity, see what all the fuss is about, maybe get a photo for his Instagram. But I think there's more to it than that. And I say that because of what we're told next, verse 4. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Both of those things 
are very strange for someone like Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector who's wealthy, to do. Why? Well, to begin with, grown men didn't run. I know plenty of grown men love running in Lycra today, but it's different back in those times. Uh, Men often wore ankle-length robes, and so it's not only impractical, it's just also undignified. And yet Zacchaeus, he runs. Same thing goes, frankly, for climbing the tree. Again, it would have been different if he's a little kid. Like the little kids that we just baptised before, that's not undignified for them to climb a tree, but this guy's a government official. To climb a tree is, because he's short, quite frankly, just a little bit embarrassing. So why does he do it? Well, Luke tells us it's because he wants to see Jesus. He's seeking to see Jesus, and clearly that much is true. But I wonder if perhaps also it's partly because he wants to be seen by Jesus. In other words, I wonder if he's trying to get up in Jesus' vision, in Jesus' view, and all of this is part of a, a bigger, a wider cry for help. Now, why do I say that? You know, what, what reason would someone like Zacchaeus have to think that Jesus, this religious teacher, this rabbi, would have any interest in a lost cause like him? Well, again, if you go back one chapter, this is chapter 19, if you look at chapter 18... Jesus tells a story, it's a parable, and that parable is about a Pharisee and a tax collector, like Zacchaeus, going into a temple to pray. Um, The Pharisees were the religious leaders, they were the elite, they were the group that everyone just assumed were right with God, and the tax collectors, like Zacchaeus, they were the social outcasts, they were the religious outcasts that everyone in that society had written off as lost causes, but Jesus in this massive reversal of expectations, says that it's not, at the end of the day, the Pharisee who goes home right with God, because he's proud and self-righteous and arrogant. Instead, it surprises everyone. It's the tax collector who's humble and repentant who goes home right with God. Can you imagine if Zacchaeus had heard that story? Because make no doubt about it, By this stage in his life, he knows he's made a deal with the devil. Now, yeah, he was rich. He was filthy rich. He got to enjoy some of the finer things in life. And yet it cost him. It cost him ostracism from his people and even more significantly, alienation from his God. As we're going to see in a moment, the people never let him forget that. And in verse 6 and 7, they call him a sinner. In other words, in their minds, when they say sinner, what they're saying is, this man is an outcast, he's a wicked one, someone like this has no place in the heart of God. And yet here was Jesus, this religious teacher, saying that actually there may just be a way back into the heart of God for an outcast like Zacchaeus. Had he heard the story? Well, ultimately we don't know. Uh, But clearly, he knows enough about this Jesus, this this teacher, to risk embarrassment, to risk ridicule, to get up in a tree in the hope that maybe, just maybe, Jesus would see it. Now, before we move on, uh, it could be that you're here today, uh, maybe with a a story not completely dissimilar to Zacchaeus. You may or may not feel like a lost cause, but in some ways, you're looking for a way back. You've drunk from the well of power and prestige and you've found it wanting. Maybe you know you've wandered away from the God of your youth, looking for a way back. 
Maybe you're just open to exploring things. Whatever the case, I want you to pay attention to what we read next. Because we can seek after God all we want. What actually matters far more is how is God going to respond? And that's what we're going to see together now. Because this all brings us to our second main character, which is Jesus. Read with me from verse 5. It says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, I hope that strikes you as surprising. He doesn't get to the tree and go, why is it that weird guy standing up on the tree? Nor does he turn around to a local and say, hey, I want to talk to this guy. Does anyone know his name? What's the guy on the tree's name? Now, instead, he looks straight at him, calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down because I'm coming over to your house tonight. In other words, for all that Zacchaeus may have been seeking to see Jesus, Jesus, this whole time, quite clearly, has been seeking to see Zacchaeus. Actually, it's more than that. He's not just looking for a place to stay in inviting himself over. He's looking for a person to save. You see this? Look at verse 10. We'll scroll down. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Grace City, this is so important. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A little later, we'll see four testimonies. When we do, it's worth just remembering, these are not four testimonies of people who found God. These are four testimonies of people who've been found by God. Now, yes, clearly they're involved in the process. They respond. They respond in repentance and faith, trusting in Christ. But it's God who takes the initiative. And I know that there's a sense in which that cuts against the grain in, in some Christian culture. Uh, preachers will often say things like, frankly, I'm sure I've even said it myself, uh, you know, invite Jesus into your life. And I get it. Uh, I'm not opposed to it so much, but it, it, it does strike me as odd that almost the exact opposite seems to happen here. Did you notice that? You know, to use the modern vernacular, Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' heart. Why? Well, because that's why he came. He came to seek, he came to search out and find and therefore save those who are lost. Now, just before we move on, I want you to notice uh, the difference between the way that Jesus describes Zacchaeus and the way the crowd describes him. We, We touched on this earlier. But in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's their word. He's a sinner. Now, the truth is, that is an accurate description. Uh, To sin in the Bible, uh, according to the scriptures, is to say things or do things or to think things that transgress God's law, either revealed in the scriptures or written on our hearts. And the consequences of that is an eternity shut out of God's presence. And so when the people call Zacchaeus a sinner, what they are saying is that he is a lost cause. And the only thing he has to look forward to is an eternity without God. The thing is, what's true for Zacchaeus is also true for the crowd. They're sinners as well. You can actually see that by their self-righteous judgmentalism of Zacchaeus. But if it's true for them, it's also true for us. It's true for this crowd, you and I. Each of us have sinned against God. We've broken God's law and therefore deserve His righteous judgment. 
But notice, and this is why I bring it up, sinner is not what Jesus calls him. Now, it's true, but it's not his word, at least not here. Instead, just, just look again at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And not a sinner, not some lost cause, but a lost child that the Father sent him to seek and to save. Grace City, that is the heart of God. When I was a kid, I only ran away once. Mum and Dad are over here. They're like, really? <laughs> I only ran away once. Uh, I think I was probably about eight years old. I can't remember why, but I went no further than the end of the block, so I didn't even cross the street. Uh, I was away for about 15 minutes. The first five minutes, I was bawling by the side of a tree. The next 10 minutes, I was waiting for someone to come. Nobody came, so I went back home. Now, to be honest, I was kind of expecting a bit of a celebration, as if to say, our, our lost son, he's back, slaughter the fattened calf, he's lost, now he's been found. You know what I got? Nothing. <laughs> Didn't even notice I was gone. <laughs> Love you guys. The heart of God is a heart that sends his son, the older brother, to seek and to save those who are lost. Could be that you've written yourself off. Maybe others have written you off as well. But God hasn't. Instead, he's brought you here today so that you would hear his voice calling you, get down from the tree. I'm coming over to your place tonight. Uh, perhaps you've got family and friends that you've written off. Again, people that you just see as too far gone, They've walked away. They could never believe. Don't be like that. If the story of Zacchaeus tells us anything, it's that no one is too far gone for Jesus. Right? Clearly, Jesus, God was working in Zacchaeus' heart well before anyone knew anything. And yet then at the right time, he calls him to come down from the tree. So don't give up hope. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. We worship a God who's in the business of seeking and saving the lost. He saved you. He saved Zacchaeus found four people we're going to meet shortly who can say he can't save more. So there's that first theme, kind of that theme of searching, of seeking. Next theme I want to explore with you is this theme of finding. In particular, let's ask, what happens when a lost person is found by Jesus? Because I think this story maybe gives us four marks of those who've been found by Jesus. Number one, they respond. They respond. See, when Jesus uh, calls Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, he actually comes down from the tree. Uh, more, uh, he actually he obeys uh, to the letter. Uh, in the NIV, which is a Bible translation, it's not just as clear. So this is the ESV, which is a little more literal. Just notice the parallel. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So... He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Right, Luke's uh, trying to make it clear that this is Zacchaeus is responding by doing exactly what Jesus tells him to do. You see, if you run with a metaphor for a moment, I think plenty of people get up in a tree. Uh, plenty of people get where they can see Jesus. You know, they come along to church for a season, open a Bible for a while, uh, maybe even get along to explore. Not everyone responds to the call. They never actually get down from the tree and take Jesus home. 
problem with that is, is you miss out on salvation. You know, Jesus in verse 9 will say, Today salvation has come to this house. He never would have said that if Zacchaeus stayed up in the tree. And so the promise of this is today salvation can come to your house. But you've got to get down from the tree. Number two. Second mark of those who've been found is that they repent. They repent. Now, I know uh, repentance can sometimes feel like a scary word. Uh, in the Bible, repentance just means a change of mind. Uh, it's like a change of allegiance. It's a change of direction, as if I'm walking one way of life, living for myself. Repentance is just about turning around and starting living for Jesus. And you actually see a beautiful picture of that in Zacchaeus in this story. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Grace City, don't, don't miss how huge that is. Again, for the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about what does the Bible teach us about money and, and how to use it. And when it comes to the idea of you know, giving and generosity, sometimes Christians will have a debate and say, you know, do we have to tithe? Tithing is giving 10% of your income away. And then they'll, you know, do we have to give before tax or after tax? And, and then others will say, no, 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 tithing, well, that was part of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, so you don't have to do that anymore. It's not binding, but now we're under grace, not law, so maybe we should be more generous. Like, Christians talk about this stuff. But you notice... Zacchaeus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't ask any questions. Instead, he has just been found by Jesus and he is so over the moon by it that he resolves to give half of everything he has to the poor. Now, you might say, yeah, but it was dirty money. So it was never really his. So it's not really generous because he just stole it. So he shouldn't have had it. Maybe. But it is interesting that he also promises to pay back four times as much as he'd stolen from others. That, to me, seems to be about the dirty money. And even then, he's actually being generous. What the law demanded of him was 120%, as in what he'd stolen plus 20% on top. He goes 400%. In other words, this is a picture of genuine repentance, of a man who every single area of his life has been turned upside down. He's turned around even his wallet has been converted and he's now living for Jesus with all that he has. Number two, they repent. Number three, they rejoice. They rejoice. Look with me at verse six. Uh, when Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, we read this. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, literally rejoicing. I suppose we ask that, well, like, why, why is he so happy? I mean, he's just... Someone's invited himself over for dinner. <laughs> In the first century, to eat with someone was a powerful symbol of enjoying fellowship with them. And so if you wanted to cut someone off, if you wanted to ostracize someone, you stopped eating with them. That, in, a, in essence, is what everyone in the town of Jericho has done to Zacchaeus. No one's eating with this guy. They've cut him off. And yet here, Jesus is inviting himself over for dinner. In other words, he's effectively saying, look, despite what you've done, despite how others treat you, despite your sin, despite your deception, despite your... I'm coming over to your place tonight because I want to have fellowship with you. 
But for me, what makes his rejoicing so remarkable is how much this interaction is going to cost him. Because remember, half of it goes to the poor, four times to anyone he's stolen from. I'd be surprised if he even has one quarter of his wealth left at the end of it. And yet he's rejoicing, he's over the moon. How can he be so happy? Well, I think it's only because he, he is convinced that in Jesus, he's found the pearl of great price. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. He goes off in search of pearls of great price. And when he finds one, he sells everything he has so he can buy that pearl. All his life, Zacchaeus has been enslaved by the love of money. The constant desire to accumulate more and build and build and build. But in Jesus, he's found someone even more precious. And so he's willing to give it all away in order to gain Christ. In fact, just notice the beauty. I won't bring it up, but the the beauty of how he does it in verse 8. Look, Lord. Look, Lord. As if he's kind of like... It's not bragging, but hey, Jesus, check it out. You've set me free from the idolatry that has held me captive all my life. And now I'm actually able to give it away. Look, Lord. I think people sometimes look at Christians and think, you know, the Christian life is a straitjacket because there's all these lists of rules and do's and don'ts. No, 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 no. That's a misunderstanding. Uh, The Christian life is one of rejoicing Because the God of the universe has invited himself into our hearts to eat and drink with us. It's fellowship. Fourth and finally. Fourth and final mark of those who have been found by Jesus is that they restore. Now look, truth be told, I'm not sure that restore is the right word for this one. But I have three R's and I wanted four and you know I have to do it. (laughs) Um, Now in the ESV of verse 8... Jesus says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So maybe it's a stretch, but come on, give it to me. Anyway, what am I actually trying to talk about? I reckon the conversion of Zacchaeus, think about the conversion of Zacchaeus from the perspective of others around him. Like the poor to whom he gave half his wealth. Or the people he defrauded who got four times as much back. But don't you think they would be thinking, hey, Jesus, can you go and save some more people, please? This is awesome. In other words, the salvation of Zacchaeus was good news for the people and the city of Jericho. I wonder if maybe it should be the same for us in the people and the places in which we live. See, our, our prayer at Four Grace City has always been, even if the world hates us, even if they don't like our teaching, even if our morality is offensive, some might even see it as dangerous, that people being found by Jesus would always be good news for those around them. Good news for families, where husbands and wives are reconciled and where children are raised in families who love and care for them. Good news for businesses where executives don't just care about the bottom line, but where they also want to make a positive impact on the people and places around them. Good news for the marginalised, because the homeless are housed, the hungry are fed, and the lonely are taken care of. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, Christianity is first and foremost about a God who sent his son to seek 
and to save the lost. It's not just a social gospel. It's about a gospel of salvation from sin and judgment. But those who, being found, make a difference where they're placed, even if that difference is just like a little pebble being thrown into an ocean, their good deeds will ripple out around them. Let me close. As I close, maybe you're, you're asking, what should I do with what I've heard today? I suspect the answer might be a little different depending on where you find yourself today. And so let me, let me suggest three things. Number one, it might be that all you need to do is get where you can see Jesus and climb a tree. Maybe you think it's in undignified. Maybe you feel like you'll risk embarrassing yourself. Get over the crowd. Climb a tree. Get, get where you can see Jesus. Maybe that just involves coming along regularly to church. Maybe it's about going along to explore. In a moment, you're going to hear a video. All of them have been through explore. Maybe it's about reading the Bible for yourself. Just open it up. Whatever it is, get where you can see Jesus. Number two, get down from the tree. Uh, some of you have been up in the tree a while and you know he's been calling, saying, come on down. Uh, but you don't want to get down. You're undecided about getting down because you're still not really sure if you actually need Jesus in your life. If that's you, can I just remind you what we said earlier about sin? The crowd wasn't wrong about Zacchaeus. He was a sinner. And he did deserve the judgment of God. But so did they. And so did we. The only reason Zacchaeus was spared from that judgment is that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem where he was going to climb another tree in Zacchaeus's place. See, the scripture says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. The apostle Paul connects that to the cross. He says, when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes upon himself the curse of sin for people like you and I who would trust in him. So stop making excuses. Come down from the tree and trust in Christ. Let yourself be found. Because the only truly lost cause in this world is trying to face an eternity without Christ. Third and finally, let Jesus into every room of your life. Let Jesus into every room of your life. Uh, some of you have come down from the tree You've taken Jesus home by faith. But there are still certain rooms in your life that are off limits. You kind of lock that one up and say, Jesus, you can hang out here, but that, no going in there, thanks. I don't know what it is for you. And maybe it's in the area of sexuality. Maybe it's in the area of money. This series that we've been in, maybe it's been profoundly difficult for you because you keep feeling like Jesus is trying to knock on a door and it's a door you don't want to open. Maybe it's in the area of relationships. Again, I don't know what it is for you. But for Jesus to be both Lord and Saviour, no area of our life can be off limits. Now, I know that's scary. We, we often lock doors of our life because we think, I don't want Jesus to come in because it's going to be costly and it's scary. Look, it may be costly, but nowhere near as costly as locking him out. Remember, he's the pearl of great price. He's worth selling everything for. And so why not unlock those doors, let him in? and experience the joy of Zacchaeus. Why don't you join me? Let's pray. I'm going to watch a video. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God 
who sent your son to seek and to save the lost. And we rejoice in these four stories that we're about to hear of people that you've found. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.